This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. He is Greg Bedard. I'm Nick Cattles. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles, brought to you by betonline.ag, the fastest, easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. We're going to get into the Patriots in just a minute or two. But first, Greg, I need your Celtics minute. Your thoughts, the Seas win last night. They're up in this series against the Warriors, two games to one. I thought that... The Celtics, despite the third quarter and giving up the lead there for a short time, I thought they were in complete control of the game. I feel like the Warriors, whether it's, you know, Clay Thompson's not right. Um, you know, some of their other role players just aren't 100%. I just don't think that they're, they, they're close to the Celtics. I just think that the Celtics are the better team. And I think the only way the Celtics don't win this series is if the Celtics hold themselves back, that they're really – their opponent is the one in the mirror that if they don't start turning the ball over and playing like a holes, apparently what you do, you told them <laughs> last night in the middle of the game, which they were, as long as they don't do that and they don't get overconfident and people like Marcus smart being like, well, I need to hit the, the finishing three pointer to finish off the series. Like he did uh, against the heat. And it almost came back to, to hurt the Celtics. As long as they don't do stupid stuff like that, the Celtics should be NBA champions, in my opinion. So here's how I feel. Before the series began, I picked the Warriors in seven. And the reason why I picked Golden State was because I believed they could execute at a higher level. And I was concerned about the lulls that the Celtics have. Here's what I'll say about the lulls. Number one, if you have a big enough lead to withstand those lulls, you're in better shape, right? Like the Celtics had that lull in the third quarter. Yeah, they got down by a point or two, but they had a double-digit lead when it started. And mm-hmm. they were able to kind of still stay close. So when they got out of that lull, they took back control of the game. So if you can, if you can build the big enough lead to withstand those lulls, fantastic. If you can shorten those lulls, instead of having six minutes, eight minutes, a full quarter – If you can play bad basketball for like two minutes and then get back to what you're doing, then you're in much better shape. I agree with you, Greg, watching this series. Again, I picked the Warriors in seven to start, but after three games, I think it's rather obvious, even to the, you know, casual viewer. If you're watching this series, tell me who wins this series if both teams play their best at the same time. I think it's obvious it's the Celtics. I think the Celtics are deeper. I think they're more athletic. I think they're bigger, longer, and and they're younger. And so you see some of these adjustments that Kerr has made playing Draymond Green against Jalen Brown in game two worked. Jalen Brown woke up and said, well, I'm going to fight force with force, and I'm going to utilize what I have to my advantage against Green in this matchup. And it wasn't a good matchup for the Warriors in game three. I just think Ime has a lot more tools in, in the uh, tool shed to address what needs to be addressed in this series. So I agree. If, if the Celtics play their best basketball, then they will win this series. If the Celtics play slightly less than their best basketball, the Warriors still have to play really well and they need to shoot really well. And the one thing I keep going back to Greg, and, and I know you watch the Milwaukee series and Miami series, the Celtics have proven if, if they're having to go through a very physical battle, they can respond and, and they have the ability because of their depth, because of their, you know, size 
they have the ability to kind of take those body blows and still be there standing in front of you in game six or seven. Mm-hmm. If I'm the Warriors, my main concern right now, and it has nothing to do with, you know, Curry getting dinged up last night. My concern is Steph Curry by game five or six. Like as great as Curry is, he did have Kevin Durant to help him, you know, get through some of those series a few years ago. He's, you know, what is he, 30, 32, 33? He might even be 34 at this point. And he's not a big guy. And the Celtics are going to just constantly bang him around and, and, and challenge him physically. So if you're asking, if you're Steve Curry, you're asking Steph Curry to play 40 to 45 minutes and score 30 plus points every single night in this series, he might be able to do that. But by the end of the series, as this goes longer, Will he be able to do that without taking 25, 30 shots? Will he be able to do that efficiently enough? And I just think it's a, it's a tremendous challenge. So if, if the Celtics play their best, I think they're champions. If they stay healthy and play to their capability, I think they win the championship. If, There's no if question. Fall, I mean, I think, I think that yeah. with, with Rob Williams somewhat healthy, the Celtics just have too many options where guys can contribute where the, the warriors, they have, they can put it together for stretches, like a quarter, like the third quarter, what have you, but they just, it's, it's the Steph show um, for largely, you know, the whole game. And I just don't think anybody in this league is capable of that. I mean, when Jordan was winning titles, he was doing it with Scottie Pippen and, you know, along with a guy like Steve Kerr on the outside or, you know, John Paxson making big shots when they needed to like the, the, the Warriors just to me right now, and this is just luck of the draw over the course of an 82 game season. They just, they just don't have the depth and they're not, they're just not firing on all cylinders where the, where the, the Celtics from the second half of the season on, They've been the best team in the NBA. Yeah. And the issue for the Warriors too, before we move out of the Pats is they don't have as many two-way players. You know, it's, it's, it's almost as simple as that. You know, they've, they've got very, they've got guys who fit in certain types of boxes. Like Jordan Poole is a, is a good off the dribble offensive player. He's terrible defensively. When you challenge him physically, he's not going to consistently beat you. Um, Clay, you know, Clay is, is off a screen guy. Not, not the best in creating for others. And he, he's not, you know, he's not clay that he was five years ago because of the injuries. So you have a lot of like Andrew Wiggins can play both ends, but he's not the most consistent guy offensively. Curry is fantastic offensively. But as you saw last night, if he gets switched on to Tatum or Brown or anybody for the Celtics, aside from Peyton Pritchard, it's a terrible matchup for the Warriors. So the Celtics just have more versatility. They play both ends of the floor. All right, let's get to the Patriots. Greg, we were going to have another podcast tomorrow, but that's been shut down because Bill Belichick shut it down. School's out for the summer, huh? School's out for summer. Yeah, Bill's on Nantucket. All right. Uh, Yeah, I mean, look, we were all shocked. We got some rain today in New England, a lot of rain when they were going to practice. And and look, I understand it because it's the last day of minicamp. And so everybody probably had their flight scheduled for like three o'clock to get out of town for the weekend. And so it wasn't like they could postpone until the afternoon where here it looks like it's going to be a decent afternoon. I, so they could not do that. I also understand that the bubble, the, the indoor practice facility, which the Patriots have one to avoid having to cancel for weather uh, is not the greatest of options because they are now a 90 man roster and it's tough to shoehorn in there. But 
for them to not only cancel today, but to cancel the two practices next week, probably only they were going to only do one. One was probably going to be some team building exercise where they, you know, play cornhole or something at Fenway Park like they normally do. I, I don't know. It's, it's a little disappointing considering all the changes that they have, all the new players, big rookie class, guys coming back from their second season, uh, you know, somewhat of a new offensive scheme or at least new offensive play callers. You would have liked to have seen them, them get into, uh, you know, get as much practice time as they could. And they decided not to do that. And, and look, I'm not going to make a huge deal out of it, but. I don't know. I don't I don't love it. In years past, people have excused this stuff and said, well, the Patriots have played deep into the playoffs for X amount of years and they're, you know, and they're tired and they're a veteran team and all that stuff. And well, what's the excuse now? They were out in the first round last year, weren't in the playoffs the year before uh, early exit before that. You know, it's not like I wouldn't say this roster is overtaxed from a football perspective anymore. And so I would have liked to have seen a little bit more work to set the groundwork for training camp. But now all the pressure's on training camp. Now it's all going to be confined to that. And there, you know, multiple uh, joint practices and things like that. We'll see. I mean, we all know the stakes that there's a lot riding on their changes on the offensive side of the ball and things like that. And to, to go without three fewer practices. Uh, that's Bill's prerogative, but we'll see what happens. Does this tell us that Bill is confident where they're at? I mean, is this kind of a signal to everybody like, hey, I, I like what I saw the first you know, few days. I, I like where we're at, and I don't feel like we need to push this. Or is this Belichick just doing a solid by his guys and, and taking it a little easy on them? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not buying into like he's confident about where they are. I mean, they, they haven't done anything yet. They haven't really started install yet. Even last year, people remember during training camp, you know, for the first, first of all, it's a slow build in training camp. It's like, you know, the first three or four days, they don't do anything as far as pads and things like that. And I remember, you know, other reporters were saying like, oh, Cam Newton's standing out. And some people are saying that Mac Jones is getting lapped and there's no QB competition anymore. But, you know, this corner was telling you they haven't done anything yet. Don't worry about it. The competition hasn't even started. It's still very much a competition. And we all know what happened there. And so there's still a long ways to go. I, I, I couldn't see – there's nothing that I saw on the field the first couple of days that would say, all right, the Patriots are ahead of schedule or anything like that. I just think it's it's Bill pulling back on the throttle a little bit. And, you know, let's be honest, Bill isn't exactly, uh, you know, pushing the pedal down like he used to at the beginning of this dynasty, for better or for worse. Some of it has to do with the, the younger generation of athletes that he's dealing with. We'll see whether it works or not. I think it's mostly a solid to the guys. It's interesting because Bill did not take a huge part in yesterday's mini. <laughs> no. Right? So, I mean, really, when you look at this, you had, what was it? It was three practices, right? It was Tuesday, Wednesday, and supposed to be uh, today. Yep. And really, really one out of the three, Belichick took the reins. The second mm -hmm. one sat off more to the side, uh, speaking to Ephraim Banda of Utah State. And then, you know, he cancels uh, today's. So you really had one legitimate mandatory minicamp where Belichick was out there working with the guys hand in hand. So I'm not telling you it's great. I'm not telling you it's terrible. I'm just telling you what happened. And it's, it's interesting that he took one out of the three to really be hands on. All right. Three things, Greg, that you are more confident in now than you were before OTAs and, and minicamp began. 
Number one would be uh, Mac Jones and the receivers on uh, generating a deeper threat, you know, which we talked about the first two days was a theme. Three or four passes per day. Granted, and it should be noted, seven on seven, not 11 on 11, seven on seven of them making plays down the field. I'm not going to take anything away from it. That they're making plays down the field is a good thing. That they have guys going up and getting balls, whether it's Trey Nixon or Devontae Parker or Nelson Aguilar going, Johnu Smith going and getting balls down the field and Mac throwing into tight windows. To me, uh, you can't help but take a positive out of that. And we'll see how that develops going into training camp. Wide receiver depth for me. Like, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, Trey Nixon, I'm not there yet. But there are some positive signs from Nixon. And, you know, if, if he can show up and he can give you something, I'm, the fact that you're coming in and you've got Parker, you've got Aguilar, you've got Myers, you've got maybe Nixon, you've got Tyquan Thornton, you've got, you know, four or five guys who are legitimate NFL receivers. I'm not telling you this is like the greatest wide receiver core in the world, but I do think they're better and they're deeper at that position, which is something I've been waiting mm-hmm. for. So uh, I feel pretty good about their wide receiver depth. Second one. You know, you, hey, one, one did addition to that. Now that you mention it, you know, Jacoby Myers uh, talked today. He's limited. He hasn't signed his RFA tender, which is probably part of the reason why he was held out. He probably didn't want to push it because right now he's not under contract for next year. There's some deadline at some point that he needs to sign it, but him not being on the field gave a lot of guys, other guys chances like, you know, Trey Nixon and Ty Montgomery and uh, you know, Malcolm Perry and Tyquan Thornton even probably got some reps. He, He got more reps, I would say in the slot, you know, did I miss Jacoby Myers a whole lot on the field at the, during this? Not really. And it makes you wonder if the Patriots start, you know, thinking about that and looking at other options that are a little bit more something we've talked about ad nauseum over the last year. A little bit more sudden, a little more quickness, a little bit more dangerous athletic ability from the slot for this team. And you wonder if this these two days of practice gave the Patriots coaches a glimpse of that and they start thinking a little bit harder about that. All right, your second one on the list that you're uh, most confident in now uh, or more confident in after the uh, last few practices. So this is going to cut both ways a little bit. One's going to be on the, the the worry list, the opposite side. I will say, and look, no pads, limited contact, things like that. But I liked what I saw out of the Patriots pass rush and, and the front seven, how they were working, the amoeba stuff. It seemed like the Patriots offensive line and offense, once they got to 11 on 11s, had a lot of trouble. Now, Look, they got a rookie, a left guard. Michael Wynn, who's in a new spot. Trent Brown and Isaiah Wynn are flipping sides. So a lot of inexperience where the guys are learning new spots on the offensive line. So that might be part of it. But, uh, I, you know, I thought the pressure from the second level, I thought mixing in the safeties into the pressure in the front seven, uh, to me, was encouraging. So I felt a little bit better about that. Uh, even with Matthew Judon ba- basically doing not much in this camp, uh, I thought the pass rush looked pretty good for the underwear Olympics. <laughs> uh, my three things are all offense. And I think big umbrella, the offensive approach, and I'll explain. First of all, it seems to be more simplistic with the terminology, which I think is something that they desperately needed to do at some point because the terminology was crazy for this system 
and we saw it affect guys that came in, you know, we saw it. And I don't know if Belichick, I think it's a, a confluence of things. I think McDaniel's leaving a bringing in Patricia and judge and having those guys have the handle on the offense. It's easier for them to disseminate the information and relay the play call and stuff like that. B it might've been somewhat of an epiphany for Belichick last year when he had all of these new toys and not everybody was, you know, on the same page at all times, especially John O. Smith. And maybe Belichick said, it's time to kind of make things a little bit more simple for these guys coming into this system. So I think it was a necessary step to take. It should have been taken a long time ago. I think their offense has evolved. We've talked about it. Not that they're going to be an exclusively zone running team, but you've seen some of the zone concepts taking the fullback out of the mix. Uh, you know, maybe using their wide receivers, running the football a little bit more. So it seems like they've been, you know, they have a little bit more evolution offensively, which means also that I think they're going to be a little bit more versatile and a little different. So I think the overall offensive approach, at least the idea, the thinking of it going in, I agree with, and I'm actually more confident in this offense uh, with the skill position players, at least in the quarterback working at maybe a higher level than I expected going back a couple of weeks ago. What's your uh, third one, Greg? Jake Bailey. I thought um, he was, I know Uh, he was clearly one of the best players on the field um, in, and clearly he was injured last year because it looked like night and day, what we saw out of him. It looked like he was back to his rookie self and, you know, everybody looks at his cap number of, you know, four plus million dollars, just like, Oh, are you doing that for a punter? If he punts like that in the season, hell yeah, I'm paying that. Um, because I think this I think this offense and defense and I think this team is going to need all the help at the punting position that they can get. And I can tell you, whoever it was, Jake Julian is the undrafted free agent. Uh, it looked like you punting out there compared to Jake Bailey in this thing. So there is no uh, I, I don't see much of a competition going down during training camp at this rate. It just tells you. Look, we try to know as much as we can know. And Greg, you talk to your sources and all of that. Mm-hmm. And people were wondering, ah, you said it, the cap number. And Bailey was bad last year. Yep. Sometimes we just don't know what's happening behind closed doors. And Absolutely. Things where like Belichick has inside knowledge. He goes, no, you know what? Bailey was punting all year last year through an injury. And he, he actually gutted it out for us. And you know, if he's healthy, he's, he's going to be a stud. And that's just something that I wouldn't know. And you wouldn't know. Uh, the last thing I'll say, the last uh, thing that I'm confident in more now than I was maybe before is, is Mac Jones. And it's not because he tore things up in, in shorts and a t-shirt. It's just, he, it seems like, and this shouldn't be a surprise, but I wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. He's doing all the right things to yeah. be better. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's in better shape. He went to Tom house. Uh, he, according to you and, and some others, looks like he has a little bit more zip. I don't want to go too crazy and say he's, you know, Matthew Stafford, you know, yep. or Aaron Rodgers throwing 99 mile an hour heaters out there. But if you wanted Mac to take that step in his second year, there's nothing within Mac's own control, not offensive play calling, none of that, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get to more and more and more. But up to Mac, what could he do? They say control the controllables. He controlled the controllables. He did everything that he could from an individual standpoint to get better. And it looks like it's translating on the field. So if you were hopeful to see Mac take a step so far, so good in that category. And it looks like uh, he, he cares about this. Like we thought he did. 
And you got to be pretty, you, know, you feel pretty good about that, that, that you've mm-hmm. got a young guy that's, that's taken it serious and, and did all the work and hopefully it, it plays out during the season. All right. Three things that worry you more, Greg, let's start with the first one. Number one. Um, and look, I'm not trying to raise any alarm bells. It's early. I understand that it's a first couple glimpses, first couple days in shorts and t-shirts. Uh, but I will say that I wasn't blown away by the rookie class as a whole. You know, Jack Jones made some plays. Marcus Jones is in a red shirt. He's he's not doing much. Uh, Cole Strange is out there starting at left guard, and I'm sure he's doing fine. He definitely knows how to start fights and do that. Um, <laughs> you know, some of his blocking, I do worry about him. You know, uh, you know how much of an anchor he does have against the bigger guys on the interior. We'll see. Long ways to go. A lot of teaching. He'll, I'm sure he'll take the next month and start attacking the squat rack and stuff like that. All, all those things that guys do during the offseason. Uh, but first blush, 10,000-yard view, nobody really popped for me in this rookie class that I was just like, oh, okay, all right. Well, this guy's a player. Now, I do think Jack Jones and Marcus Jones are going to be in the mix Tyquan Thornton, to me, if I had to lay money down right now, to me, he's a shot play gadget guy once in a while this season as a rookie. That's my initial impression. Cole Strange, we'll see. He could struggle a little bit. Uh, Chasen Hines wasn't out there. Andrew Stuber wasn't out there. Uh, Sam Roberts, hard to tell on the defensive line during this. So just, you know, I'm a, I was hoping Thornton might – have a couple more plays where I was just like, holy hell. Now, you know, he had a gunner play that was nice. Him with the ball in his hand looked nice and impressed me a little bit. But I will just say, by and large, uh, it wasn't like he he made me hold my breath watching him, which is sort of, you know, higher round draft picks. I sort of just look for that special thing. It just looks like he looks like a typical rookie who's trying to figure out where to go, which is fine. But – I was a little underwhelmed by the rookie class. Offensive line for me, um, moving Brown to the left side, yep. moving Wynn to the right side. How is that going to work? Is Wynn going to be here a month from now? I think that's a significant question that needs to be asked over and over and over again uh, until we get a legitimate solidified answer. And as you mentioned, you know, look, I, I was not at practice um, thousands of miles across the country, but I've watched and, and read and, and listened to as much as I could. And you are not the only person out there, Greg, saying, you know, during the 11 on 11s, there were some issues. And the worst thing that can happen to this team is, is you speed up Mac Jones. He gets hit a lot. Mm-hmm. So I got the offensive line in the crosshairs. You know, Andrews has been dinged up a little bit. Like you said, Hines did not get out there. Stuber didn't get out there. How was your depth? So I've got some questions on the offensive line. Second one that's for my, you, Greg. That's my number two, the offensive line. And it goes with the pass rush. The pass rush was effective. Now, how much was it with the pass rush or how much was the offensive line? And, you know, we're talking about Trent Brown. You know, there are questions about all these guys. Trent Brown, can he really play left tackle, you know, with his durability issues and his age and his size and things like that? Can he do that still at a high level? I don't know. Cole Strange. Is he really ready to be a upper level left guard and replace like a, you know, Joe Tooney was there two years ago. And, uh, you know, who was there? Uh, you know, can he even approach what Teddy Karras did last year? I don't know. I, I can't tell you definitively that he's going to be as good as Teddy Karras was last year. David Andrews, is he still the same guy? He was limited in, in practices. Michael Wenu, 
Last time we saw him play guard, he got benched for Ted Karras. Is it better on the right side? Is he more comfortable a year out? I don't know. Isaiah Wynn, is he even here? You know, I don't know if you saw his press conference, Nick, but I don't know. My first blush watching it was like, if if I can get somebody to take this guy, goodbye. Like you know, he obviously he he puts the uh, he, he puts the voluntary and voluntary minicamp. He obviously is just like from last year. Oh, it was voluntary this year. It's voluntary. Yeah, okay, fine. You make those decisions, but I'm going to make what's best for my football team. And you are a first round pick on a fifth year option. And I'm sorry, I expect a little bit more out of you to come and be. You should be one of my young leaders on this team. Instead, we can't even we don't even know whether you're going to show up. And yeah, it's quote unquote voluntary, but. Screw that. This is the National Football League. You're a professional. You haven't you haven't accomplished jack crap in this league. You should be on the field and want to be on the field. So, sorry, end of rant. But a lot of questions about the offensive line. I like the rant. Uh, what, what I'll <laughs> say is so people out there might be like, oh, well, a lot of people missed the voluntary, you know, OTA. Yeah, and all good that players. But not not everybody is in the spot that Isaiah Wynn is in. You know, not everybody is coming off of a season that was very inconsistent. Not everybody has that 50-year option that's kicked in. This is, you know, his chance to make some money and get out there and show that he wants it and deserves it. And, you know, it's just not everybody had his situation last year, you know, during the camp time. So I just – not every single example is similar in the NFL. Different guys, different resumes, different experience levels – and some guys deserve the benefit of the doubt. Other guys you feel like should be fighting for that benefit of the doubt to earn that. And Wynn hasn't necessarily done that. Uh, my, my second thing, look, don't want to spend a ton of time. We've talked a lot about it. Play calling. I, th- I have no idea what's going to happen. Yep. <laughs> Matt Patricia looks like he's going to be the guy. Is he going to be good? I have no idea. Is he going to be bad? I have no idea. I still would love somebody there with some experience and in one voice in the head of Mac Jones. So that will remain a concern until I actually see it out there. The season, it gets kicked off, and they look like they know at least somewhat what they're doing. So that's always going to be a question. Your third one, Greg. Yeah, I'll stick with that, too. I mean, we just don't know. It's it's a jumbled mess. Sometimes it's Joe Judge and Mac Jones's ear. Sometimes it's Matt Patricia. You know, do we really need to do that? Is it best if the play caller is indeed Matt Patricia and sort of the overseer of the being offensive coordinator? Does he really need to be coaching offensive linemen? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, if if I'm Bill Belichick, I'm trying to coach coke Dante Carnegie to come back, coax him to come back. I don't think he's coming back from my conversations with Scar. He's good. He's done. Is there anybody else who can coach offensive line and let Patricia just concentrate on doing what you know they need him to do if he's going to be the voice in the quarterback's ear? So those are sort of my thoughts on that. Me, the last one is just I don't know if I'd say I'm I'm worried about it. I'm intrigued by it, but I have a lot of questions about it. And that's just defensively on the second and third levels. Like I, I don't know. Look, Raekwon looks like he's going to be the guy with Bentley possibly. Um, you know, what is Uche going to specifically do? It, does Perkins play a role in this? Can Jennings actually show up? I, I just have a lot. I just don't know. And in the, in the third level of the defense and that secondary, as you've said it a couple of times so far in this pod, Greg, I don't think they know what they have yet back there. So it's a lot of mixing and matching. And so until I know that they have some kind of stability in the back end, uh, the the jury is still out. So again, I wouldn't say worried is the right word, just still wondering what the hell is going to happen on the second and third levels of that defense. Totally agree with you. 
Before we get to the uh, 53 man roster, Greg, tell the fine people about betonline.ag. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. For all, find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's NBA Finals, the NHL Conference Finals, Major League Baseball scores, and all the fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. If you're feeling optimistic or down on the Patriots based off this minicam, go on over there and bet the over-under on, which I think is, is it still eight and a half, somewhere in that realm bet online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs esports and more head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit just use our promo code clns50 that's clns50 to get the bonus and get into the action bet online where the game starts all right, let's look at your uh, 53 man roster. Of course, you're going to make some changes to this post. Yeah, this was a couple from, weeks uh, ago. A couple weeks ago. So, pre, let's say pre minicamp. And I'll have one right. possibly this weekend coming out of minicamp. So, you lead the dance. You want to start offensively? Yeah, let's just go through this real quick. So, right now, I have three quarter. I have all three quarterbacks sticking. I think that Zappy, considering where they drafted him, he's on the roster. The only question is. You know, is it Hoyer? And remember, there's a whole bunch of different roster mechanisms. Remember last year, Nick Folk and Brian Hoyer weren't on the initial roster and they did the, you know, activation thing. And there's different rules, which if you go on BSJ and you look for my column, I go through all the changes, um, you know, with the roster. So there will be a bunch of that nonsense for part of the year. So it's hard to really narrow down where they're going. But I think in general, I think they need all three guys. I don't think Zappi's going to be ready to be the backup. You could use Hoyer to sort of be assistant offensive coordinator, uh, you know, instruct Joe Judge and Matt Patricia on what's going on. One of the interesting positions for me is running back. Uh, On my 53, I have Damian Harris traded. That is not a Chase Winovich, what's he doing here type of thing. I love Damian Harris. I want him on this team. I think he's a good player, but... How many running backs are you going to take? They drafted two. As long as there's not an injury, those two guys, look, uh, Kevin Harris could maybe slip through. He was a later round draft pick, but I think both of them stick. How many running backs are you going to keep? You're going to have Ramondre Stevenson, and you're going to have a pass back, whether that's James White if he's healthy or J.J. Taylor. So that's four. They usually keep four. Are you going to go five? Or, you know, is it more likely if Strong and Harris have strong training camps and you feel better about it and you're like, well, Ramondre Stevenson's our number one, Harris and Strong can sort of fill in as the number two, and we can trade something, we can get something for Damian Harris now going into the final year of his contract and be ahead of this instead of behind it like they've normally been. So right now, I have Damian Harris traded, hopefully for like somewhere around a third round pick, maybe a fourth round pick, you get it now. You know, that's what I have. What do you think about that thinking at running back? You know, it's interesting. James White still to me is a question, uh, yeah. you know, if you can physically do stuff. I, I think, you know, if Pierre Strong comes out looking pretty well here during training camp, do you possibly talk to James White about him calling it a career? Do yep. you do you, mm-hmm. you know, do you do something with his injury situation? So yeah, you it could be, you know, it could be one of those Rob Ninkovich, Vince Wilfork, early right. days of training camp where they don't show up. Where are they? And then we have a retirement announcement, that sort of thing. That's what it, because, that's what it feels like right now. But James White's been on the field for everything. So I don't know. Yeah. Not, not so, that he has done everything. 
I just think you do have some, if you can't trade Damian Harris or you don't want to, you do have some flexibility there with Pierre strong. If he can prove himself, that gives you some wiggle room with white and it gives you some wiggle room with Kevin Harris. Uh, I, I agree with you. You know, JJ Taylor looks like uh, for whatever reason, he's not going to be yep. much of a factor on this roster. They, they've had him here for a couple of years. They know who he is. And if he was, if he was the guy or if he could fill that role, they would not have drafted Pierre strong. So that's how I feel about running back. Yeah. I mean, at receiver, I have, I have Nikhil Harry traded or released. I think that's a foregone conclusion, especially after this mini camp. Um, you know, he did not do much at all. I mean, I have Devontae Parker, Aguilar right now, Bourne, Myers, and Tyquan Thornton. Now, I do think that Trey Nixon and, you know, Ty Montgomery and Christian Wilkerson for, especially for his special teams work, you know, could they find a spot on this team? Yeah, but I mean, the Patriots 53-man average over the last like five years is 4.6 receivers. I think they had four to start last year. Now I have five. So you're already talking an extra guy. Are they going to go six receivers? No. So who, who goes out of that group? I, I don't know. It's a crowded group. There's a competition at tight end. I have all four guys sticking Dalton Keens in the rehab group again. Uh, <laughs> he has not done much again. So I don't know. But the thing is, is if they are going to run more Shanahan stuff without the fullback, you need more tight ends. They're going to be on the field more as H-backs and things like that. So I think you need four. Maybe you get by with three if you cut Dalton Keene and you go with Asi Asi, uh, that sort of thing. And then I have the status quo pretty much a tackle. I have Wynn, Brown, Haran, and Kajust. I don't think they're going to find a trade uh, for Isaiah Wynn, so I think he's here playing out the string. Guard center. I have Andrews, Awenu, Strange, your three starters, Yasir Durant, and Cody Rusi as the UDFA, who makes the roster. I think uh, I feel good about that group. Those nine guys out of camp, I feel uh, that's the group I would pick again. Receivers, the only thing I want to talk about, you know, for a yep. second here, Trent Nixon, his preseason, does it continue to be really good? I would not be surprised if Myers is on the block with Nikhil Harry. I would not be shocked by that. So let's keep an eye on Trey Nixon and how he uh, continues yep. to, to along. All right, let's look at the, uh, I guess, defense. Let's go defense here. So on the edge, and I think I've sort of switched this a few times because, you know, basically what they're running is they're running three for their base. They're running three defensive linemen plus an edge guy. So you're talking a nose tackle, a defensive tackle, and then a defensive end, almost like a tweener guy, like a Dietrich wise, Henry Anderson at the other end. And then you have like uh, Matthew Judon at edge. So on edge slash end, I have Judon wise, Uche and Perkins. I have cut Henry Anderson and Anthony Jennings. Now looking at minicamp, you would say those two guys are on the roster. Good luck finding spots for both of those guys. Uh, on the interior, I have Guy, Godshaw, Barmore. Those three are almost givens. And then Carl Davis. Um, you know, do you do you let go of a Carl Davis who's really the only Godshaw backup there and, and keep somebody else on the edge? You know, I don't know. Uh, off the ball linebacker. This is going to be a tough group because these this. This group, along with the cornerbacks, they are basically, Nick, when you watch practice, it's basically like, uh, you know, like one of those bingo games where they're just like, you know, they have a bunch of 
ping pong balls yeah. in the thing and they're just picking yeah. them out and so you don't know there to me there's no rhyme or reason and like you could tell that they like all of these guys in some respect now at the end of the day for the 53-man roster who do they like the most but I have Bentley McMillan who I would say right now you would say those are the two starters then you have Cameron Grown and Mac Wilson Mac Wilson yes Cameron Grown you know we talked about it yesterday uh, I would say he's more on the third team, scout team type of guy behind guys like J- Jelani Tavai, Harvey Lange. You know, does does you know how does that shake out? Do they keep an extra guy at off the ball linebacker? And could that guy be Anthony Jennings because he's a linebacker edge type of guy? All a bunch of different combinations. Uh, so I don't know if you have any comments on those spots as of right now. Yeah, I mean, I think we roll. I'm, I'm a little short on time, so let's just yep. jump, jump to the secondary uh, here. So, cornerback, uh, c- same sort of thing. I mean, I have six guys at cornerback, which is a lot for this team. Normally, their average is 5.6. I have Butler, who I think his roster spot is in doubt. I think he's in competition for a roster spot. He's easily cut. Jonathan Jones is here. Terrence Mitchell is here. Jalen Mills is here. Marcus Jones and Jack Jones. Now, I have cut Sean Wade. I think it's Malcolm Butler or Sean Wade, in my mind, who sticks on the roster. Because at at safety, you have McCourty, Phillips, Duggar, and Peppers. I'm cutting Miles Bryant, Joshua Bledsoe. Those guys have been on the field. I I don't know, Nick. I think it's all (laughs) up in the air between linebacker, cornerback, and safety. I could not tell you right now who I think is the leader in the clubhouse and who I feel strong is going to make this team. I think Malcolm makes it just my gut, but uh, a lot of decisions to be made. Lots of decisions to still be made. It's going to be a very interesting camp. Uh, he is Greg Bedard. I am Nick Cattles. It's the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles brought to you by betonline.ag. Fastest, easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. We will be back uh, next week to talk more Patriots. I'm sure Greg will have his 53 man roster fired up by then. Uh, until then, have a fun weekend. Be safe, be good and be healthy, everybody.